Daily Planet Extra. You all right, son? We need to know what he knows. He doesn't even know what he knows. It's a ship. We've come to the right place, Superman. He claims he's from the 31st century. I'm Jessica. Everyone knows Limelight. The Fatal Five are coming! Well, well, ye old Justice League. I didn't know you had powers, Thomas. Metropolis will be by the first of your cities to be flattened. Or hand over the lantern. We don't negotiate with terrorists, even the 31st century kind. We stop our enemies before they even start. No one's responding to our call. The Man of Scream. I heard you were grabby. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 26 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to discuss Justice League vs. The Fatal Five, the newly released uh, DC Universe animated movie, which was released uh, on April 16th to Blu-ray and DVD, and apparently also to the DC Universe app. It was released to digital sale only on March 30th, so that actually means I'm going to have two uh, Man of Screen extras for you this month, this being the second. The first one was uh, several weeks ago when I discussed uh, Shazam, and and one comment I'm going to make about the release date is, you know, I noticed when I watched this movie on Wednesday following uh, release that it was already on the app, which is fine, you know, that's good for subscribers to the app, but, you know, with the recent influx of comics, uh, they're saying that uh, it's about 12 months before new comics are showing up on uh, the DC Universe app, which makes sense, give them time to uh, sell the current printed product, and or even sell the digital versions on Comixology, but it doesn't make nearly as much sense to me to release these animated features straight to the app on the release date, that they go on sale Blu-ray and digital. It just seems as though you're cutting into possible sales of the uh, of the disc or, or the digital version, because why would I buy this thing if I'm already subscribed to the app and I know what's going to show up there that day. You know, just uh, food for thought for Warner Brothers. Not that I'm telling them to uh, how they should handle their releases, but, you know, I'm getting to the point where if I am if I can get these movies on the app on release date, I may end up stop buying the discs because I'm not going to watch these things a ton of times. So, it, like I said, it just seems as though uh, Warner Brothers is kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit, or maybe it's DC, uh, releasing this stuff to the app on the day of release like that. But that's neither here nor there, not for me to decide, so... I'm going to move right into some feedback. I have feedback from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Extra episode 25, and which I talked about Shazam. The uh, That's the most recent Man of Screen Extra, which actually, as I record this, just dropped a couple of nights ago. So, greetings, Mike and Haley. For those of you who remember, Haley uh, showed up on the last segment that we had a discussion in the car. So, Dave writes, I'm glad that you both enjoyed this one. I didn't get to see it on opening day, but I did see it a few days after it opened, and I really liked it. My experience of Fawcett and DC's Captain Marvel was different from yours. I learned about him from Jules Pfeiffer's Great Comic Book Heroes, the 1965 printing, because I'm old, when the Big Red Cheese had long been out of print and old comics were not easy to find. I saw a version of the character in 1974 in Superman number 276, Make Way for Captain Thunder, a fun story if you ever get the chance to read it. I think this was sort of a tryout for Captain Marvel before DC began to publish stories using the Captain Marvel name, and yes, the character went by that name from his return to comics later in the 70s, I think. The comic book titles usually invoke the name Shazam. Sorry, I feel compelled to write that in all caps with an exclamation point. But the character was called Captain Marvel until sometime in the 21st century. Aside from whatever legal concerns there may have been, I think the 1974 TV show Shazam also imprinted that name in the public's mind. I haven't read any of the uh, New 52 stories you mentioned, so I'm not really familiar with that version of Billy Batson or his foster family, but even with my out-of-date knowledge, I enjoyed seeing things hearkening back to my memories, like Mary Bromfield, who in the old continuity was Billy Batson's biological sister, adopted by the rich Bromfield family. Even though I hadn't read the version with the foster family in the movie, I enjoyed those characters quite a lot. 
I thought they were well developed for the story, and the young actors did a fine job portraying them. I can see why you might have been concerned with the scariness of the seven deadly sin monsters for Haley's sake, but sometimes I think kids don't really mind scary monsters too much, as long as they're defeated by the good guys, as they were here. As a native Philadelphian, I must mention that a local movie reviewer noting the name of the Winter Carnival, Philadelphia, wrote that if someone doesn't present such a carnival next winter and use that name, it will be a terribly missed opportunity. You said that when the kids transformed into the Shazam family, Reminiscent to me of the old Marvel family in the comics with Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and Uncle Marvel, whose name was Dudley like the little girl in the Foster family. Her jaw just about hit the floor. Well, that was pretty much my reaction when Superman showed up in the school cafeteria at the end. I just loved it. I also loved the sly teasing throughout the movie about Billy Batson's superhero name, since I doubt they'll ever use Captain Marvel. I do wonder if he'll ever have a name in the movies. Thanks for covering this. I hope you and Haley enjoy more movie-going adventures together, whether or not they involve superheroes, because as long as Dad is with her, she'll always have a superhero. Live long and prosper, Dave. As always, Dave, uh, thank you for writing in. Uh, A couple notes on what Dave uh, wrote here. Uh, I have not read the Make Way for Captain Thunder story in uh, Superman number 276. I don't know, for some reason, that Superman 276 seems significant, for some reason. So, I'll have to go check check that out. I'll see if it's on the the, uh, DC Universe app. See if it's there and check that out. So... As far as uh, the name Shazam being uh, imprinted on the public's mind, I suppose that's possible. You know, outside of nerd circles, I don't know of anybody else who actually remembers the uh, 1974 Shazam show. I mean, I know that it existed, although I've never seen it. But that's also on the uh, DC Universe app. I should check that out one of these days. But I don't know if they called him Shazam or Captain Marvel in in, in that show. It's Like I said, it's one of those things. I've been meaning to watch some of the old uh, Captain Marvel stuff. I want to see if I can track down those... Uh, old republic serials and uh watch the shazam show that's on the dc universe app when i have the time now as far as uh dave's comment about uh the scariness of the seven sins you know and how he said he thinks kids don't really mind scary monsters too much well it depends on the kid and honestly the only reason i really mentioned it was because Haley was kind of hiding her eyes from the monsters she uh especially the one with the big tongue again i still don't know what sin that was but she did not like the look of that one and kind of hit her face every time uh she saw that, but, but it's, you know, it's one of those things. It uh, depends on the kid. And yes, I did like the uh, reference to uh, Uncle Marvel in uh, the name Darla Dudley, which is, you know, that's about as much Uncle Marvel as I, as I need. I'm not sure that character would pretty much work in the modern day. And uh, yes, uh, the jaw hitting the floor. Yeah, uh, Haley had the same reaction when Superman showed up in the cafeteria. And uh, if you uh, were able to hear her when I talked to her in the car, she was had a similar reaction when she found out that that Superman had previously appeared in movies, so... Yes, I'd like to see more Superman and definitely more uh, Shazam, Captain Marvel. You know, it's kind of funny that about the Captain Marvel name because obviously in this film they, in Shazam, they uh, poked fun about the fact that they couldn't use the name Captain Marvel. But in the Marvel MCU film, which is named, which is titled Captain Marvel, I don't think they called her Captain Marvel at all in the movie either. So two movies with a character called Captain Marvel in it, and I don't believe either one of them used the actual name Captain Marvel. I mean, they they called her Carol the whole the whole movie as uh, secret identities. They're not really an uh, an MCU thing, you know. Just a uh, you know funny uh, point there that I thought I wanted to make. Two movies with Captain Marvel in them. One called Captain Marvel, one not. Neither one of them actually call their character Captain Marvel. And before I just start saying that over and over again, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back and give some background info on Justice League versus the Fatal Five. Hang around, folks. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast 
on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. All right, welcome back, folks. Justice League and the Fatal Five was produced by Warner Brothers Animation and distributed by Warner Home Video. Obviously, it features the Justice League, which was created by uh, Gardner Fox and at least the concept of the league, uh, not necessarily this particular roster. This is the 34th DC Universe animated original movie series, both if, and that goes back probably to, I don't know, I'd have to count back, but I don't know if that goes all, I don't know if that goes all the way back to Mask of the Phantasm, but, or unless, it, or does it start with, uh, in 2007 with, uh, Superman Doomsday? I don't know without going back and uh, counting out the movies. This uh, film had its world premiere at one at WonderCon Anaheim in, on March 29th, 2019, and was, like I said before, released on Digital HD on March 30th, and released to uh, Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and DVD on April 16th. This film was announced less than a year ago, on July 20th, at San Diego Comic-Con 2018. The uh, film features... Uh, Kevin Conroy, Susan Eisenberg, and George Newbern as uh, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, respectively. And these are their roles that they played on uh, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited back in the early 2000s. And, oh, and this was something I was wondering as I was watching the film. Producer Bruce Timm has confirmed the film to be canon in, in the DC animated universe. So, you could put this film right on the end of uh, Justice League Unlimited and... Uh, if you decide to go through and do a watch through of the uh, DCAU, starting with Batman the Animated Series, you can go through and this film would be a part of it. Somewhere between the end of Just JLU and uh, Batman Beyond, I would think. I would think this takes place after Justice League Unlimited. Now for some character information, uh, we'll start with the uh, Fatal Five as a whole. They are a 30th uh, century gang of five superpower criminals uh, consisting of the Emerald Empress, Mono, the Persuader, Validus and Therok. They were originally assembled by the Legion of Superheroes to help them destroy a Sun Eater, which was threatening Earth. At the end of the Sun Eater threat, the Fatal Five subsequently clashed several times with the Legion. The uh, Fatal Five was created by Jim Shooter and Kurt Swan, and they first appeared in, in Adventure Comics number 352 in 1967. So, uh, start with the Emerald Empress. She uh, can cast Energy Blast using the Emerald Eye of Ekron. And they're all the antagonists of the Legion of Superheroes. And she has also been a member of the Legion of Supervillains. Mono has the ability to disintegrate anything he touches with his hand, known as the Antimatter Touch, which he used to uh, destroy his own planet. This means that he is forced to use a containment suit at all times. The Persuader is a legacy name of supervillains in the 31st century and the modern era, using an atomic axe that can cut through literally anything. And as we're going to see in this film, his axe can cut through Superman. His predecessors are Cole Parker, a member of the Suicide Squad, and at least Kimball of the Terror Titan. Validus is uh, basically shown as a mindless beast with incredible strength. He has also been a member of the uh, Legion of Supervillains. It is later revealed that he, he is... Uh, Garrett and Rands, the time-displaced child of Lightning Light and Saturn Girl, and turned into a monster by Darkseid. In the reboot Legion continuity, Validus is no longer betrayed as the Rands child, and in Prime Legion continuity, which I guess is the New 52, he is a deity who inspires the cult of Validus. So, a lot of different uh, interpretations of Validus right there. And uh, Therok, he began his career as a small-time crook when and half of his body was vaporized in a nuclear explosion. So to save his life, he was given a cyborg body, which greatly increased his strength and intelligence. So that is the Fatal Five. Two more characters I want to give you some information on, the first of which is Starboy. His real name is Tom Calor, a member of the Legion of Superheroes, originally in the 30th century, now pretty much referred to as... Uh, the 31st century, basically, the Legion of Superheroes, when they're going concern, is always a thousand years in the future. So basically, if they're writing Superman comics in 200 years in the 23rd century, the Legion will be pushed to the 33rd century. Like I said, the Legion is always 1,000 years ahead of current continuity, at least when the uh, when DC Comics is treating the Legion well, as they have not been since... Uh, since the Crisis on Infinite Earths back in 1985. The Legion has been an absolute mess since then. So anyway, back to Starboy here. Born on the planet Xanthu, he uh, has the ability to increase any object's gravity or density or mass. His romantic partner and eventually his wife is Dream Girl. There is a version of Dream Girl. I believe uh, Nia Nal is supposed to be a, the dreamer on Supergirl. It's supposed to be a long-dead ancestor of Dream Girl. 
that we know in the comics. Starboy has also been a member of the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Following Infinite Crisis, he traveled into the past where his schizophrenia went untreated. He took the civilian identity of Danny Blaine and became a member of the Justice Society, a Starman. In Reboot Legion's continuity, Starboy is the Legion's replacement for Kid Quantum. Xanthu later leaves the United Planets and Starboy joins the Uncanny Amazers. And in... The New 52 continuity, Starboy is betrayed as black, which I have read no New 52 Legion, so I have no idea going on with Legion there. And Starboy's first appearance was in 1961 in Adventure Comics number 282. He was created by Otto Binder and George Papp. Now, Jessica Cruz. She is a more recent creation. She is a Green Lantern, suffering from uh, crippling anxiety and agoraphobia after being nearly murdered. She was originally chosen as a successor of Power Ring of the Crime Syndicate. Her capability to overcome her fears led her to her recruitment into the Green Lantern Corps. She is a member of the Justice League, and she's the first female human Green Lantern. She was a co-star in the Green Lanterns comic with uh, Green Lantern Simon Baz, and for a time, that was probably my favorite Green Lantern title. Jessica Cruz was created by Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver, and she made her first appearance in, in Justice League Volume 2, Number 30. All right, so with that out of the way, I'm going to take another break, play another promo, then I'm going to come back and uh, go through the film. Hang around, folks. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. I won't let you down again. It's finally here, coming to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. General? Would you care to step outside? It's Superman 2 Movie Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly are back to discuss 1980's Superman 2, five minutes at a time. Superman faces his toughest challenge when he squares off against Lex Luthor and three villains from the planet Krypton. Superman 2, Movie Minute, proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Man, this is going to be good. All right, welcome back, folks. Now, uh, into the movie, like I mentioned before, original release date was March 30th, 2019 to digital. And April 16th to Blu-ray DVD and the DC Universe app. Movie was directed by Sam Liu. Writing credits go to Alan Burnett, Eric Carrasco, and James Greek. And the cast is Elise Gable. I hope I'm saying that right. As Thomas Calor and Starboy. Diane Guerrero as Jessica Cruz. Kevin Conroy as Batman. Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman. George Newbern as Superman. Daniela Babadia as Miss Martian. Kevin Michael Richardson as Mr. Terrific and Kilowog. He also did some additional voices. Noel Fisher as Brainiac 5. Peter Jessup as Thyrock. Tom Kenny as Bloodsport, Salak, Jessica's Ring, and some additional voices. And for those of you who care, and I'm not saying you need to, Tom Kenny is also the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. Matthew Yang King is the Persuader and the Arkham Director. Sumali Montano is the Emerald Empress. And Philip Anthony Rodriguez as Mono. Tara Strong as Saturn Girl, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and some additional voices. And Bruce Tim played the role of Two-Face and Validus. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. In the 31st century, three members of the Fatal Five... Therok, Persuader, and Mono attack the headquarters of the Legion of Superheroes with the aim of capturing their time travel device. Starboy, Saturn Girl, and Brainiac 5, the only Legionnaires present, try to keep them back but fail. Just as the villains activate the device, Starboy leaps at them and is taken along on their ride back to the 21st century. While the time machine descends down to Earth, Starboy manages to trigger a booby trap. Brainiac 5 is programmed into the device's computer, which traps the villains in a stasis field. Starboy comes down in Gotham City, while the time machine ends up in Metropolis. Starboy finds to his horror that his only supply of a mind-stabilizing drug he needs regularly has been destroyed by his rough landing. During his search for a replacement, which does not exist in this era, his increasingly erratic behavior gets him arrested by Batman and interred in Arkham Asylum. The stasis-locked time machine is picked up by Superman and brought to the Justice League's headquarters for analysis. Ten months later, Jessica Cruz is struggling with the trauma of her near death by a murderer who killed her friends after they had stumbled upon him burying two bodies three years ago, leaving her afraid to leave her apartment. Adding on to her anxiety is that a Green Lantern ring chose her and that Wonder Woman keeps trying to recruit her into the Justice League. In Gotham, Miss Martian is trying to prove herself to Batman for membership in the League, but her inexperience works against her good intentions. Killed it. Team Supreme. You gave away our presence, let him get to you, failed to take him out, and almost got the hostages killed. Okay, maybe this was a teachable moment. You want to be part of the Justice League, there are better teachers than me. I'm not doing this with a teenager. 
Point taken. Don't push it. While trying to unlock the secret of the strange sphere, Mr. Terrific brings down the stasis field, freeing its occupants. Superman and Mr. Terrific fight them, but Superman is wounded by the Persuader's axe, and the villains escape. In Gotham, Starboy's memory is jogged by a news report of that fight, and he breaks out of Arkham. The Leaguers compare their notes about these unknown assailants and discover they are time travelers, and... I came as soon as I heard. Are you alright? Been a while since I bled. Kryptonite? No, some kind of axe. Atomic. Had to be sharpened to less than a nanometer to cut him. My T-spheres have been collecting residue from the axe. And based on the residual tachyons, this substance comes from approximately a thousand years in the future. Who are they? I don't know, but I think I know where they're headed. It's just a building, Megan. Don't be intimidated. I'm not. I've been here lots of times. Just not... Not as an actual Justice League member. Potential initiate. Bats has made it very clear that I'm on thin ice. Thomas Caller. Ten months ago, I found him naked, raving. He was taken to Arkham. Symptoms? Delusional. Paranoid schizophrenic. Partial amnesia, apparently. He seems to be able to control the mass of objects. He could have leveled Arkham. He's that strong. He also claims he's from the 31st century. Okay, not so delusional. He did have a strong reaction to your little scuffle, Clark. Yes, it's healing slowly and I'm in a fair amount of pain. Thanks for asking. You said you knew where he was going. He said that they were after something or someone called Limelight. Limelight? Green Lantern? Which one? He also mentioned 21 bridges. There's more than one city in the U.S. with that many, but only one with a resident Green Lantern. Portland, Oregon. When the three villains start beating Jessica down, Starboy comes to her rescue, shortly followed by Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, Mr. Terrific, and Ms. Martian, who force them into a fight after a hard struggle. In the aftermath, Starboy and Jessica form a close friendship. Look, Space Boy, I'm the good cop. Be happy it's me talking to you, not Batman, because he... Mind if I join you? It's Starboy, right? It's Thomas, really. Stressful situations like that always leave me totally starving. You too? I'm so not eating my pudding. Do you want it? Yes. Mmm, pudding. Arkham had pudding every Thursday. Everyone loved it. Especially the clown. A lot of people are afraid of clowns. That's called coolrophobia. You know what? He's all yours. I'm getting a mochaccino. I'm Jessica, by the way. I know. How do you know me? Everyone knows Limelight. I always remember that, even in Arkham. I forgot the five, but I remembered you. You're the key. The key! What else do you remember? I remember waking up in the past, but now the present. Quatroclozapine wearing off, and then television, and pills, pills and television, then, then the five. They came for you. Ha had to stop them because... Oh, it's so hard. I can't think. I can't remember. You can't just force your mind to do something it doesn't want to. I know. How would you like to come back with us? Yes! Oh, Thursday's bingo night at Arkham. That's okay. It is at the Watchtower, too. To find out more about their guests from the future, Batman instructs Miss Martian to telepathically link their and Jessica's minds with Starboy's memories, thus learning about the Legion. They also come to witness a battle between the Legion, Chameleon, Dawnstar, Tyrock, Monel, Shadowlass, and later Brainiac 5, Saturn Girl, and Starboy, and the Fatal Five, which ended in the capture of Emerald Empress, Mono's lover, and Validus. Upon their awakening, the League receives an ultimatum from Mono. We just got a message from the Fatal Five. Do not take this threat lightly. Metropolis will be by the first of your cities to be flattened, then the others, one by one, and in a synchronization of destruction you never dreamed possible. Or, simply hand over the lantern. We promise no harm will come to her. We only need her assistance. Decide quickly. The cost of hesitation is the blood of innocence. That's where the message ends. 
there's no way to trace the signal. So what's our play? We don't negotiate with terrorists. Even the 31st century kind. Agreed. Hey, I'm picking up that energy frequency I found earlier. Multiple signals. My guess is they connect to Tharok. These are receiving transmissions. The first bombings start in Metropolis, forcing the Justice League to move out. Jessica, left behind with Starboy in the Watchtower, is contacted by Tharok through her ring. Are you alright? No, I'm not alright. Nothing about this is alright, and you'd understand that if you weren't even more messed up than I am. I'm sorry. It's just that... I don't know what to do. I know what I'd like to do. Get the hell out of here. Scary guy should have let you help. You're limelight. You're the bravest. Just stop! I'm not the bravest. Most days, I'm scared to put this ring on. Scared to get out of bed. What? What is it? I'm on a frequency generated by your ring. Only a lantern can hear it. Can you give me a minute? Uh, sure. Therok, what do you want? You're a smart girl. You know we're not bluffing. How many need to die, Jessica Cruz? You have the power to stop this. Follow this signal. Come alone. Forcing her to surrender herself to the Five and enable them entry into the Green Lantern Corps science cells, where Emerald, Empress, and Validus are held, since no prison in the 31st century could contain them. Despite interference by the Corps, the two imprisoned, the two imprisoned of the Five are freed. When Jessica fights back, Persuader cleaves her ring in two. Afterwards, the Emerald Empress has her Emerald Eye absorb the entire energy of the Corps' central lantern, and the Five return to Earth to recover their time machine. In the meantime, Starboy discovers Jessica's absence and informs the League. The heroes proceed to the time machine's location, a secret military base, where the Five force them into battle. Emerald Empress disables the League and then initiates her master plan to use the lantern's power to destroy the Earth's sun, wipe out humanity, and thus prevent the formation of the Legion. In the prison, Jessica recovers her faith and determination, and by reciting her oath... In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! She reassembles her power ring. She returns to Earth and prevents the five from escaping back to their own time bringing the whole base down on them. Superman, Jessica, and Starboy then race after the Eye, but are too late to prevent it from plunging into the sun. As the star cracks apart, Starboy sacrifices himself by lowering himself into the sun's core using his powers to reverse the fractioning. In the final scene, as the Leaguers commemorate Starboy's heroism, they are joined by the Legion, who come to the, from the future to honor their fallen comrade. Martin Luther King said, only in darkness can you see the stars. And that's kind of true for all the stars, except one. I think none of us will ever be able to look at the sun again without thinking about what Thomas did for us, for all of us. But he did even more for me. He told me I was brave until I believed it. No offense to anyone here, but Starboy is my hero. Don't stare. You're going to see a lot of strange things. Now that you're part of the Justice League. Oh, I know. 
Wait, what? We voted. You're a full-time member, if you still want it. Hell yes, I do. And thanks. I didn't say how I voted. I'm so glad you all could come. You were so important to him. Jessica Cruz. It's an honor. Okay, so this film starts off in the future with the Legion of Superheroes. We didn't see a whole lot of the Legion as no one DC property suffered more at the hands of Crisis on Infinite Earths as they did. I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the show. Note in the animation, uh, Brainiac 5 looks a lot more like the DCAU Brainiac than he does his uh, comics counterpart. Well, one of the... Uh, one of Brainy's most striking uh, characteristics is his yellow hair, which is his golden hair, which is either, which can be long or short, but he's completely bald here. So so three members of the Fatal Five, this is Mono, Pers- Persuader, and Therok. They, uh, they've stolen a Legion time ship, despite the best efforts of Brainiac 5 and Saturn Girl, and Starboy kind of just grabs a hold of it and uh, is dragged back through time with them. Starboy crashes in Gotham and the Sphere in Metropolis, the Sphere being the time ship. And we get a nice shot of Superman catching the time ship. Almost like Atlas holding up the world. Now, when he speaks, um, I wasn't always fond of George Newbern as Superman, but with subsequent viewings of Justice League, he has uh, grown on me. As a modern voice actor for Superman, I definitely prefer Tim Daly. But that's just me. Some people prefer George Newbern, others uh, Tim Daly. Maybe maybe because I heard Daly first, and then when Justice League came around, Superman's voice sounded off to me because of the change. I don't know. But Tim Daly definitely uh, is my favorite modern voice of Superman. Obviously, nobody can compete with the late, great Bud Collier. So when Starboy crashes, his uh, medicine vial breaks, and uh, the character suffers from uh, schizophrenia, which is defined as a chronic and severe mental disorder that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves, and it's characterized by delusions, hallucinations, and other cognitive difficulties. Uh, and for many who uh, face uh, schizophrenia, it can be a lifelong struggle. It is often confused with multiple personality disorder, which, if you're watching Doom Patrol on the DC Universe app, what uh, Jane displays is a very extreme case of uh, multiple personality disorder, but it's not the same thing as schizophrenia. Just going to uh, put that uh, right out there. Now, uh, obviously, and Thomas knows he needs more meds, but he can't get them in the past because they haven't been completed yet or invented. So Thomas goes into this pharmacy, and he kind of tries to put everyone at ease because... He thinks their costume, his costume was freaking them out. What, what is actually freaking out this pharmacist is that Thomas is asking for a drug that has not been invented yet, and he's kind of babbling all crazy. So, obviously, the fact that he makes his costume disappear and he's standing there stark naked, that does not help his case in the slightest. And, of course, uh, while he's uh, running away from the scene, Thomas runs straight into Batman, who just kind of looks at him. You know, Batman is not taking any crap, and uh, Batman just kind of, his the mouth is a single line just staring down at Thomas, you know. You know how Batman is. He's not amused by this. So right here, we get our first mention of 21 Bridges and Limelight. These will both come into play later in the film in a big way. So now we have uh, three girls hiking through the woods. It took me a few minutes to figure out what this was, but this is a dream sequence kind of giving us the uh, quote-unquote origin story of Jessica Cruz, at least the origin story of her social anxiety. Apparently, she, these two men were maybe like in the comics hiding a body, and uh, they were taken hostage. Her other two friends were shot execution style, and Jessica runs off a cliff, and uh, she wakes up. Knowing Jessica Cruz was going to be in this movie, I sussed this out as Jessica, as Jessica right away. And in the comics, uh, she is portrayed uh, as having social anxiety. And uh, like I mentioned in the character description, she in the comics, she'd originally gotten her ring from Earth-3. She was going to be the Power Rings replacement, but eventually she uh, becomes a Green Lantern. She's a little more functional here than she was, at least initially in the comics. And she already has a Green Lantern ring. Now, Wonder Woman is trying to kind of get her to step up for uh, Jon Stewart. It's unclear how much lanterning Jessica has actually done to this point, because it seems as though she knows Jon. And later on in the film, we're going to see that she knows Kilowog and Salak and other lanterns. So it's possible that she's already gone through Green Lantern basic training. But it is kind of alarming with a Wonder Woman kind of pulls her sword on Jessica and starts swinging it at her. And what we're going to find is that it was all a ploy to get Jessica to use the power ring. And apparently even the ring believes in her, which is good to know. So now I have this other guy holding up a TV station trying to get President Kennedy to reveal that he's alive. He's a couple of fries short of a Happy Meal. But this whole thing is a nod to a post-crisis Superman, specifically Superman number four, which was one of my first comics. I got it in a 
one of those three packs. It has, I had two of those three packs. One Batman, one Superman. It was Batman 401, 402, 403. The uh, Magpie story, which that crossed over with Legends. And two stories where Batman fought a guy pretending to be him. Tommy uh, something or other. <clears throat> it was recently covered uh, a year or two ago, at least on... Uh, nightcast over on the fire and water network in addition to those three around the same time i got a three-pack including superman number four which was the first appearance of Bloodsport, which we're gonna see here and five and six the uh mummy rocket boot story from the early post-crisis superman run i probably owe jeffrey taylor some money now that i've said mummy rocket boots and there i there you go i owe him another quarter but anyway so this is supposed to be Bloodsport, and Bloodsport was a vietnam veteran and uh you know he, he's holding up the tv station trying to get president kennedy to come on tv and tell the world he's alive probably not gonna happen and apparently batman is working with Ms. martian now and i wonder i do wonder where in the dcau this is supposed to take place could this possibly be after the flashback events in uh, return of the joker where tim drake is heavily traumatized but it's hard to tell because when uh batman makes a comment about how he d- doesn't really care for teenage sidekicks magan who has the same all the same abilities as the martian manhunter changes shape into uh, tim drake as robin and he kind of accepts her point and moves on so superman is with mr terrific analyzing the sphere he can't see through it and he, and he postulates that it's not actually there and uh, mr terrific who is a genius says it's out of phase and so superman's uh, not dumb as mr Ter- and mr terrific is gonna bring it back into phase and i love when uh mr terrific says superman is just like his father obviously superman thinks of his father as jonathan kent so he says that his dad's a farmer but terrific was definitely referring to Jarrell, superman scientist father even if that's not who uh superman would consider his father of course this is all immediately contradicted when superman says great row when uh persuader mono and therok uh, leave the the sphere after terrific brings it into face so next we get a pretty good action scene and believe it or not persuader's axe is powerful enough to cut superman and when they leave he's left bleeding on the pavement there that is a lot more blood than i would normally expect to see in something like this even probably more than i saw in the, in the death of superman movie that came out last year you could see superman's blood oozing out onto the street probably more graphic than you would expect or really need to see in a film like this so this is when we find out that batman dropped thomas at arkham asylum you know with the worst of the worst you would think you know maybe batman could have found a lower security hospital or something for the schizophrenic i mean he is stuck in arkham asylum with the worst that batman's uh rogue gallery has to offer he probably ran into the joker but it is worth it to see that thomas has struck up a uh, friendship with two-face and it is kind of amusing just to see two-face on the asylum chow line which is, i guess this is kind of a uh, part of his day and uh thomas sees uh, a news report on the battle it took place at Magan center as indicated on the news report and this is obviously a reference to uh bronze age writer elliot s Magan. Magan also wrote miracle monday a superman novel that i have not read and need to and seeing the fatal five on tv triggers thomas and his powers are revealed and and all the crazies are out of their cells too and being that they were in the hall i guess poison ivy and harley quinn weren't invited to lunch maybe uh, the men go first and the women second i don't know Maybe they had lunch already, I don't know. And we get some more graphicness as Ivy snaps the guard's neck. So again, uh, before he flattens Batman, Thomas mentions 21 Bridges. So again, that 21 Bridges thing is very important. So here is another connection with the axe as uh, Mr. Terrific uh, discovers that the axe is w- from 1,000 years in the future. And then Batman references Thomas uh, referring to the 31st century. So things are starting to come together a little bit for the Justice League here. Batman connects the uh, 21 Bridges reference uh, to Portland, Oregon, saying that it has 21 Bridges and it is the only city that has both 21 Bridges and uh, Resident Green Lantern. So Batman has already connected Limelight to Jessica Cruz. And so have the Fatal Five as they're shooting up Portland. Everyone is a master detective in this story, apparently. So as Jessica talks herself into stopping them, and of course, uh, when she drops the pipes onto someone's car, they yell at her. You know, Superman doesn't get that treatment, but it kind of reminds me of a action comics i want to say it was i mean this is maybe it was even i think it was during the brainiac storyline i want to say supergirl shows up to uh help some people and they complain that uh what they said something to the effect of what superman superman couldn't be bothered to save us we got her instead so it's kind of the same thing here i don't actually think that was the brainiac storyline but it doesn't matter the uh scene still uh holds up people treat some of the second tier heroes and maybe female superheroes you know a little bit worse than they would say superman or batman or something like that so when jessica is subdued starboy shows up to help her and we have another decent action sequence that highlights jessica's inexperience and inability with the ring thomas is talking extremely fast and it sounds a lot like nonsense if you're not paying close attention but 
And then, and then the Justice League shows up, kind of stands Superman, who is still recovering. As he said to Batman, it's healing slow when he's in a fair amount of pain. And, you know, the story on this movie is kind of thin, but it's held together by a lot of action. Which, in an animated movie, is probably uh, really what you want. Animation has long been my favorite form of comic book adaptation, as the sky is really the limit. Anything can be animated. You don't really have to worry about what you can or can't do with live actors in an animated film. So whatever you can imagine, you can get into the movie. So, And obviously, comics have an animated look to them. You know, they're not, the art in comics is not photorealistic. It's not a John Byrne uh, photo novel like he used to do for Star Trek over at IDW. So everything is drawn in, in this film, for the most part. Some done on the computer, and it's all drawn in the comics. This is basically a comic book in motion. So again, a better translation than you would get from a live action film. But live-action films bring in a ton more money. So Jessica is knocked unconscious and is falling from the sky as Wonder Woman and uh, Mr. Terrific chase her, and we get a great shot of Superman coming in for a last-minute save as uh, a rendition of the animated Superman theme was played. And the animated Superman theme is one of my all-time favorite Superman themes. It might actually be number two behind the Williams score. Just that and Williams score and this, you know, top two Superman. I'm not saying the Shirley Walker theme compares to the Williams score, but it's as, cl- it's as close as anybody has come to it. And that's meaning no disrespect to the work that Hans Zimmer did on Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. I enjoyed his score too, but Williams and Walker just screamed Superman far more than Zimmer did. Probably just a stylistic thing. So after the battle, Thomas is brought back to the Watchtower or wherever it is they are. And being that he only talks nonsense, Batman, Miss Martian, and Jessica go into Starboy's Dream, and that's where they learn about his schizophrenia medicine, which he can't get because he's stuck in the past. And he responds to Jessica, and it's clear that there's a connection between them. So, so we have a then we see the Hall of Heroes as an amusing scene. I love Batman's snarky remark at his, at his uh, statue, how it doesn't look like him. And after the Justice League section, there is a Green Lantern in our room with Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, and Kyle Rayner. And I hope that meant we would have seen some of the other human lanterns, but we don't. Maybe we could have seen one or two in the uh, Oa battle that's going to come later. The next memory is a battle between the Legion and the Fatal Five. And that's basically going to show us what happened uh, right before, uh, before the remaining three broke into the time sphere at the beginning of the film. It shows the capture of Empress and uh, Validus after the Legion victory. And there's Monel fighting with the Legion. I don't know many of Legion members. I'll just have to say that uh, I'll take the synopsis as a word for it. I did recognize Chameleon Boy, and I guess the black kid was not Cosmic Boy, as he wasn't mentioned in the, in the synopsis. He looked like Cosmic Boy, at least the costume did, but I don't know. And apparently, I find it this hard to believe that there is nothing in the 31st century that can hold Emerald Empress, because by then the Green Lantern Corps is gone. I mean, there's got to be something out there that can hold her power. In all the universe, 1,000 years into the future, I find it hard to believe that no technology has been developed to contain someone like her. It's not like superpowered villains come out of nowhere. So, back in the in the past, in the present, Mono threatens worldwide dis- destruction in exchange for Jessica, and Metropolis and other cities are seeded with bombs. And when Superman realizes it, he hauls ass after it. And, you know, Jessica surrenders herself to save the world, you know, very noble on her part. And she's taken to Owa to free the prisoners, Validus and Emerald Empress. When they get to Owa and free the other prisoners, we get another nice action sequence. And like I said, Jessica is uh, pretty much owned by Empress and uh, by the Fatal Five. And they pretty much own the whole core. And they Kilowog has a nice impressive hole in his chest after this battle. But just another good action sequence. This would have been a good opportunity to guest star those other Green Lanterns, like I said, but they don't. And Empress's eye absorbs some light from the green power battery as Superman destroys the bombs. And... As she's beaten, you know, some rubble is is dropped onto Jessica. And I love this moment where in order to get out, she says her Green Lantern oath and that causes her ring to repair itself, which I thought was really cool. The ring was cloven in half by uh, Persuader's axe, but Jessica saying the oath and reforming her ring was a nice moment. I think that's the moment where Jessica really started to believe in herself and her own abilities as a Green Lantern. This film is a great showcase for the... Jessica Cruz character as she comes into her own as a Green Lantern. Really, that entire Green Lantern series was, I I mean, it was about both of them. They were co-stars, Simon Baz and uh, Jessica Cruz. And, uh, you know, Simon had his own story. But really, the heart of that book for me was uh, Jessica coming, overcoming her social anxiety and her own doubts and her own fears and becoming a Green Lantern. You know, so much misconception around the Green, Green Lanterns are is that they're fearless. No. The rings even say it. The wearer has shown the ability to overcome great fear. 
And the ring sensed in her the ability to overcome great fear. If it did not, it would not choose her. It, it's a worthiness thing. If she did not have the ability to overcome her fear and her social anxiety, she would not have been chosen to become a Green Lantern. So, so I really liked hearing her say the oath and really believe that she has the capabilities to be a Green Lantern because a lot of that Green Lantern's book was her battling herself and her own feeling of whether or not she was worthy to hold the mantle. Here we're seeing that indeed she is so we're going to find that the justice league back on earth is not doing as well against the fatal five and that's going to come into play later and uh, jessica gets her act together comes back to earth and comes after the five as the empress uh, goes to destroy the sun with the eye and she shows up at the last minute to save everyone and beat the five you know she really gets a great moment and my one complaint i don't think the green lantern logo over her right eye looks very good in uh, motion it looks uh, much better in the book where it's kind of uh drawn like a tattoo and it doesn't seem to move right over her eye in the comics you don't have to worry about her moving because there's still pictures but when the logo on her eye has to move with her it looks a little off and it can be distracting now with the bad guys beaten there's only a few minutes to save the earth if that superman goes to stop the eye and Starboy goes to save both superman and the star superman very nearly catches the eye before it falls into the star this superman seems more powerful than what we traditionally saw in the dcau and that was a big issue of mine when that those shows were on with both the superman and justice league series superman seemed too weak you know in his own series he would be beaten rather easily by the female furies and in justice league he'd be often be taken out so other leaguers could shine the uh, at least early on in the series that changed a little bit more as uh the series developed as uh, especially after season one uh, bruce tim and company kind of realized what they were doing maybe they heard some criticism about it about that and decided to change their ways a little bit i don't know but it's a common trope to take out superman so the other leaguers have to solve the problem because the big question always is if you have superman what do you need the league for so but superman failed to catch up to the eye on time and it's up to starboy to give his life to hold the sun together and starboy sacrifices both heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time you know it's obviously warming as you see him realize his purpose and it's kind of heartbreaking to see jess's reaction they formed a huge bond and this movie is really their story they formed a huge bond with each other and they kind of helped each other through their various mental issues uh she helped him kind of get through with his schizophrenia as he does what he needs to do and uh he's a big part of helping jessica gain confidence and believe in her own abilities as a green lantern so they really they walk the same path together and both characters are better for it but starboy says he has the sun has to be held together and he does pull it back together and jessica can't bring herself to leave she gets too close to the star and superman has to pull her away and it's a great shot as they fly away and it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh all-star superman when way in the, when at some point superman had to go into the sun to keep it to either live in there or to keep it going or something like that it's been a long time since i've read that but it kind of makes me wonder if starboy is living inside uh earth's sun just food for thought and then uh we uh, have a funeral for starboy and uh jessica gives a speech showing that she's getting a handle on her social anxiety you know most people here I am, I'm sitting here talking to a microphone, but you know what, I, right now, I'm in an empty room, talking to my wall. If I had to do this in front of a room full of people, I'd probably be a blithering idiot. I might be a blithering idiot right now, and nobody's there to, here to tell me, but it's a lot easier to sit and talk to a microphone in, in a room by myself than it is to stand up and talk to a live audience, especially if you know the live audience. And I love this moment where Jessica refers to Starboy as her hero. You know, just a really good uh, highlight of... Uh, the bond and jessica recognizes the bond uh that she shared with him it's unclear how old jessica is my guess would be early 20s it's also on so i would assume starboy is younger so i'm not sure if anything romantic could have gone on between them but eh, you never know their uh, relationship didn't necessarily go in that direction and it's probably better for it that it didn't but by the end of the film they've become very close and dear friends one fun note before i move into the legion coming to the funeral when the spheres come back in time they give and this happened earlier in the film as well they give off the uh, three sonic booms before entry, which kind of like the uh, DeLorean does in Back to the Future. At least when you're being shown its arrival from the uh, perspective of the time that it's uh, arriving in. When you're seeing the perspective of the driver, it's instant. But if you're sitting in the time period that the machine is coming to, you hear three booms before it emerges. So I wonder if that was a deliberate nod to uh, Back to the Future there. So another journey that is uh, complete 
as Magan becomes a part of the Justice League. And then the Legion uh, shows up to pay their respects. I guess they recognized that Starboy had to stay in the sun. Otherwise, they could have just come earlier and saved him. But the timeline, I guess this was Starboy's destiny to wind up inside the Earth's sun. So that's where the movie ends. Wasn't a bad movie. I'm not sure it's not going to be an instant classic, but it does handle mental disorders relatively well. And I enjoyed Jessica's and Thomas's journey throughout the film. It, like I said, it was really their film. Jessica, to me, with her social anxiety, I think works best in a team book or with a partner. That way she has, uh, you know, kind of somebody to, uh, to bounce off of, to talk of, to highlight, uh, because she does need help sometimes to pull herself out of uh, herself. Jessica's big conflict is from within, and sometimes she needs the uh, extra help, and it's great for her to have a friend to bounce things off of and uh, to play off of. And that reason is probably why I enjoyed the Green Lantern's title as much as I did. It was a really a fun uh, buddy cop title. I kind of miss it now that it's gone. So, next time. There are no immediate plans for the next time, but I will say this, with the 30th anniversary of Batman, the Tim Burton film coming in June. I'm pretty sure there'll be an episode, a Man of Screen Extra about that. So, until then, if you want to send me some feedback, it's always welcome. Man of Screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over to the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast via search feed and the show should come up. Or find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.